has Pete in a choir's house. I'm in the process of trying to build one. And I, and I tell you what, I am more likely to be able to interpret Sanskrit with a blindfold on and, and people yelling in the background you know, and, and making a three-foot putt at the master's level of golf competition than I am to understand the concepts and rules around building a home at the coast. It's just, you know, it, it is unbelievable, the process. It, it, this process has taken <laughs> – I'm in year three of this process, I, and, and still, you know, it's every little – right now, the, the hold-up – here's the funny hold-up. I have to know what trees I may plant when the home is completed. I have <laughs> – I have no idea at, at completion what trees, you know, what, what it'll even look like. So I have a know with the house, but we don't even know how much yard we're going to be allowed to have due to the stormwater and everything else because it's near the water. And if you're anywhere near the water, then you're the devil. <laughs> you're, you're the almost horrible person on the planet. Give you an idea about how bizarre it is at the coast. Funny, true story. We built a bulkhead on a lot, have a lot near near water along a canal, not the intercoastal waterway, not the ocean. Built with this beautiful to preserve and protect because, you know, you get erosion and things like this. We're trying to protect a lot. We've had it for a long time. The city got dozens of complaints from people that didn't like that. They could see it from a given road or another place or when they drove nearby adjacent. They didn't like that a bulkhead was built and that, that no one should be allowed to do that. And I asked the city, I said, what is that all about? And they said, you have no idea. When people move down here, they think their house is fine, but nobody else should be allowed to have one. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But it was fine. It was legit. It was above board, as they say. Now, do you want to get to some other, uh, uh, you know, th- this case I mentioned earlier uh, about Roy Cooper and everything. I still can't believe. Now, I, I don't want to go to that story. I don't. I, I've, I've gone to it. It's this retroactive. If the court, the S- Supreme Court believes that a, a legislature is illegitimate. And, and remember, we have a partisan 4-3 Supreme Court right now. One of the most partisan we've ever seen that's got connections to Mark Elias, that's got connections to Eric Holder, one of whom has been paid a you know, quarter million dollars, or not paid, but it is supported. Uh, the, the issue is it's, it's highly partisan. And it, it is funny, funny, ironic, wry, sad that this, the partisan activities of the court are allegedly not as partisan as the legislature that was duly elected as well. So the 120 legislators and the 50 senators that came up, that are elected from all over state, that came up with maps that are partisan, the Supreme Court is no less partisan and said, we don't like them. So now the Constitution is clearly set up to let the legislature draw maps, Democrat or Republican or whatever, Green Party 50 years from now. The Green Party draws all the Green Party maps. But the the courts believe that their intercession, their their meddling in this is going to produce better maps. They're going to produce better maps for the Democrats. It's a 4-3 Democrat court. It'll be a friendlier Democrat map for them. But it's a dangerous precedent. They weren't able in their in their filings to really cite precedent for why they were doing what they're doing. And now they heard yesterday about previous legislative stuff. So what you'd say is if the previous legislature from 1860 – uh, was elected under what we now consider gerrymandered wraps, uh, maps, we could technically say that the actions of that legislature involving the Constitution are null and void. And then we can take the Constitution and throw everything that they came up with and it was agreed upon moving forward from that time out. It goes away. You could say that even the design of our public school system, this is how ridiculous this becomes, that the way public schools were added to North Carolina as part of the legislature that's responsible for 
fair, free and fair public education, that that could be thrown out and say it's unconstitutional. That's how silly this becomes. And, and it, it's bizarre that in 2022, we're even having this discussion and we have a governor that supports going through the space-time continuum and changing previous constitutional dictates. What it really means is Democrats, this governor and the Supreme Court feel, or no, 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 they haven't decided this. This hasn't been decided. It's being argued. But if they were to agree, and the governor has certainly said he agrees, then the Democrats could go back and just cherry pick those things which they don't like that have been passed in previous times and remove it as if it never existed. That's that's a, that's a weird retroactive form of tyranny where you take away rights, and you don't do it as something new that you've done. You take away and say, well, historically, it should never have happened. Imagine if you could do this at the federal level. If you could say, hey, those guys at Constitution Hall, those guys in, in convention hall that drew up the convention, Declaration of Rights, they weren't really the kind of elected people. They were left over from the king. The, the, what they did was just not legitimate. So the Bill of Rights, not legitimate, at least the parts we don't like about it. Maybe that Second Amendment, it's not legit. We don't like that. The right to peaceably assemble, well, we don't like that. Or at least we don't like it when you guys peaceably assemble. And I, I know I'm illustrating the absurd by being absurd. How absurd are you are, Chad? Come on. But it, it does pose interesting ethical questions when a sitting governor says these kind of things. And I think it's, it's worth noting. It's it's. It's simply worth noting. Uh, by the way, I posed a question yesterday here on the air and said, hey, where's the, the highest ranking where's the highest ranking Democrat to oppose you know wh- or at least speak up on the John Durham stuff? Who's the who is the guy? Who is the who is the woman, the man or other? It was talking about Democrats, uh, man, woman or other that wants to oppose or at least speak up on what happened with the John Durham report. And yet, you know, we waited, but I asked and answered. So here's what happened. Tulsi Gabbard, who is not a favorite of Democrats now, she tweeted the following. The Durham investigation has shown that the biggest threat to our democracy is not some foreign country, but rather the power elite led by the likes of Hillary Clinton and her co-conspirators in the mainstream media and security state who work to undermine our democracy from within. She, former presidential candidate, representative or former representative from Hawaii, she's the highest ranking one that we've heard anything from about the Durham report. Or at least I'd I'll continue. Hey, if you find someone, send it to me. I'm at Chad Adams in, on Twitter. So definitely check it out uh, and, and let me know. If you find any Democrats, our own governor hasn't said anything about the Durham report. Hillary Clinton's still silent day four. I think Democrats are kind of in free fall over this thing. Nothing from Adam Schiff and, and, and that crowd or Maxine Waters. All of these people that claim the Russian stuff was real now they've been completely debunked. Ryan's having fun. I don't know. He's picking all sorts of stuff. Now, Chad Adams sitting in for my good buddy Pete Callender, who shall return. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. You want to get in on the conversation, 704-570-1110. Callers, you guys move to the front of the line. No matter what I've got ready to discuss you guys love you guys. So it, it, I, I've always loved that in radio. Every 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 time I'm on the air. Now with us right now though, Perry. Welcome to the show. How the heck are you today? I'm doing well. And you? I'm fantastic, and I appreciate your call. All right. The reason I call, my dad and mom's been married for sixty five years. My dad's in the hospital, 
and they wouldn't let my mom stay with him last night. And, you know, at their age, they want to be together all the time. And I was listening to the program, and I heard them talking about that. I don't know if it was yesterday or Thursday last week. Yes, sir. And the, that there was a law that uh, they could not prohibit you from being there? Uh, it is. It is it's Senate Bill 191, and it, it is uh, loosely, it's a kind of a long uh, title, an act providing patient visitation rights will not be impacted during declared disasters and emergencies and directing the Department of Health and Human Services to impose a civil penalty for any violation of those rights. The short version of this, it's, it's not a very long law. I mean, Senator Joyce Crawwick's from up in the Forsyth County area, Winston-Salem area, was one of the chief sponsors. This past, Governor Cooper signed it into law last October, and it allows you as a family member to see your loved one. The hospital cannot prevent you. Even in ICU, you have a right to see your loved one. Now, as far as staying with them overnight, that if, they, if they're in a private room, I have found that, that they're not really any opposition. Is, is, your, is your dad in ICU? Oh no, no, he's in a private room. Okay, the, the hospital the hospital needs to make accommodations. This is funny; it affected me personally about three three four weeks ago. My mother is in the hospital; she's on a ventilator right now. In week two, we're we're making some very difficult decisions. Her lungs have recovered; they just have trouble waking her up. So we don't know; it could go either way. Uh, but we when when she first went in, we they were not allowing us to see her. So at one point, I remember having the hospital staff have us walk around to the outside of her window, knock on her window, and wave at her. And then after a series of phone calls and and other folks getting involved, you know, they said, no, you, they showed me this law. You have a right to get in there. And we showed the hospital. And sure enough, then the hospital had the audacity to say, we understand you have powerful friends. And I was like, no, this has nothing to do with friends or power. Every single person who walks in that hospital door has a right to see their loved one. You have the right. Now, it may be that you can only see them for two hours or something, but in a hospital room, and if you're not in the way, depending on the hospital, you need to check, but you do have a right to see them. You absolutely have a right to see them. Well, they, they told her she she could be there between 8 this morning and 10 this evening, but she couldn't be there overnight. And that that's a different policy. Hospital Every hospital's different. I mean, some hospitals only allow two people in an entire day. So if you had, you know, a couple and a friend, no, only two of you can go back for the entire day. We, we've had to run this balancing act, but the hospital can't prevent you from seeing uh, your loved one. It, it was It's another tragedy that resulted in COVID that should never have happened. It should never have happened. It is, it, even the doctors, the doctors were arguing on our behalf saying, look, it's going to do her good for her to see family. It gives her a reason to live. And for the same thing for your father. And I mean, that's amazing. Your parents are married for 65 years. That's a, a remarkable accomplishment in today's throwaway society. So uh, I, I hope it works out for you guys. All right. I appreciate it. You, anytime. And I appreciate the call. Uh, one, of the, one of the many tragedies that we have with, with respect to policies that were overzealous. Uh, you know, you, you had these policies. It's funny that government never assumes the responsibility for the destruction it causes until much later. And the situation in New York with the rest homes, I mean, Cuomo's gone, but the lawsuits involving placing patients in harm's way, there were multiple we knew going into this, and at a certain point, there were ways for people to safely visit loved ones. We know there are ways to do that. I mean, I've been able to visit my mother in ICU since she's been in there, and and it is a remarkable thing to be able to be around family. It just at 65 years, 
That's amazing. I mean, personal story, just an aside, I don't want to dwell on it. I'm not going to, but I can empathize with every one of you that has experienced this. I lost my father last February, not to COVID. It was long-term cancer. And I feel for all of you out there that haven't gone and been diagnosed, that missed, we missed two years, we're going to have our surgical wards are going to be full of people who delayed surgery. Our cancer wards are going to be full of people that are seeking cancer treatment that didn't go get tested. So much of our health is going to be disrupted by policies that simply did not need to be because of knee-jerk reactionaries in government. And that's, that's the inherent danger. Oftentimes, when there's a problem in society, government is the worst. Now, I'm not talking about law enforcement and people putting out fires and roads. Those are wonderful aspects of government. We pay for that. We want those protections. I'm talking about wide-sweeping policies that are enacted without some kind of real due process. That becomes it becomes an easy way to slide into a tyrannical situation. It's not like Justin Trudeau in Canada went around and got his parliament and everybody else to get on board. No, this was a unilateral, tyrannical, bordering on martial law act. If you look at the way even the Democrats conducted through this, it's power. It's the raw expression of power. And then luckily we have a 50-state experiment where different states said, you know what, I'm done with this. Florida said, I'm done with this. Texas ratcheted back. And people said, see, they got more cases. Well, no, New York still had more. States that had locked in, there was really not a distinction between states that locked down and states that didn't. And the 50-state experiment really started working. And now you've got Democrat governors saying, yeah, we need to get away from this. This is not working out well for us. Look at our poll numbers. Because freedom and personal responsibility, even the president of this country right now, Biden, who, you know, 30 years ago probably cared about personal freedom, now sees personal freedom as a problem. Personal freedom is not a problem because it comes with personal responsibility. The more we assume responsibility for actions, the more freedom we can have. And if we don't have that personal responsibility, overzealous politicians will take our freedom away from us under the auspices that they are more responsible with our freedoms than we are. Just a little perspective. For your perusal, for your thought process, Chad Adamson, he and for Pete Callender here at News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Also, 704-570-1110. 570-1110. You get right in, get talk, chat, talk about what's on your mind. As I'm looking, there, there are a couple of things that are kind of fascinating today in in pieces. And if you look at the totality of it, it, it leaves you asking questions. I mean, it, there's no way you could you could approach today and say, wow, it's a slow news day or a slow news week. This is a mass. I mean, the, the information, if we were to see this one, if we were to see one of these stories, they would be significant stories. I mean, the situation in the Ukraine is, is huge. Make no mistake, it's huge. I think that Putin's playing a, a giant game of brinksmanship, and he's getting something out of it. But the reason, like the markets today, the Dow Jones Industrial's up 413, almost 414 points, 1.2%. I mean, the, the markets are across the board kind of up, and you go, wait a minute. Why would they be up? Because the other news that's out there is inflation hit a massive new high. Inflation hit 9.7% year over year. That's that's historic. I mean, those are those are in in if that were the loan story of the day, if inflation were the loan story of the day, the markets would have tanked. The producer price index, it's PPI, which measures wholesale prices, rose one percent in January and nine point seven percent for the past twelve months. The latter just off the record high. Core PPI rose 09 percent. Both increases were at least double Wall Street estimates. So, in other words. This is the kind of stuff Wall Street estimated. They're just wrong. And if you even the jobs last month, they were wrong. It's like every single turn right now, it's wrong. 
I mean, what, jobs, hey, they undercounted jobs. Jobs were better. They, you know, they were much better. Now, the but inflation is horrible. People are losing value. Inflation is a massive tax on everybody. If you're not earning, if you don't have a 10% higher salary than you did last year, you've lost money. You're working more for less. If your savings are not accumulating at, ten, at over 10% a year in the past year, you're losing money. Losing. It's worth less than it was. Manufacturing in the New York region increased modestly in February, but was below expectations. The prices received index soared to a record high. So, again, if, if you were to look at this chart, I mean, even the chart on, if you go back to 2010, it, we haven't seen anything like this. The Biden, the Biden presidency has been riddled. If, if you can take away anything from this, let's, let's step back and say, we have an extreme, whether you're a Wall Street expert or just some guy that's looking at your mutual funds, we are in an extremely volatile situation. To our north, we have the expression of the, the, the straightforward face of tyranny in what's going on with the truckers that are just trying to get more freedom. Our southern border is not under control at all, and there's no, there's no even faking that they care about it. Inflation is running away. It's rampant right now. I mean, that's that's an unsustainable. I we we hope that it gets under control. We don't want hyperinflation or deflation. There's a lot we don't want in terms that we can get into that are very, very much more problematic. We don't want to be Venezuela with hyper a million percent inflation kind of stuff. But it's unsteady. You look at the Ukrainian situation. The Russians are in complete control of the global news on that front. They can pull back or they can they could have an incursion. They've moved fleets. They're in control of that story. Think about this. The, the way in which the Russians have moved around is affecting U.S. markets. Right now, the only reason the markets are positive is because the Russians say, hey, they say, oh, we're going to pull back a little bit. There's a de-escalation because they got some of what they wanted. The Ukrainians got to a, a billion dollars. Our embassy is empty right now in Ukraine. There's a picture floating around on the Internet of an empty, an empty embassy there in Kiev. It's no, no America. We pulled out. Remember, the administration said 48 hours maximum, 24 to 48 hours. 48 hours. Got to get out of there. So, caller Shannon, welcome to the show. How are you? Hello. Uh, good afternoon. You are welcome to the show. Good afternoon to you. Uh, well, I recently had a very, very, very mild bout with COVID. I mean, it was nothing. It was just sniffles and scratchy throat. But sadly, my, my neighbor uh, didn't make it. He was very young. About, or he was about my age. I'm in my mid-50s, late 50s. And he, he was very strong, but it took him out. But wow. uh, I went to the hospital to get some advice. I went to one clinic, and I went to a hospital to get some advice on therapeutics, things that would help me. Right. Both of them plainly said, Tylenol and ibuprofen. Blank. That was it. Nothing else. Tylenol and ibuprofen. I said, uh, what about some other therapeutics and things that are helpful? They, they kind of looked at me funny and just kind of bit their tongue. And I, I said, well, what about vitamin D3? What about uh, ivermectin or monoclonal antibodies or zinc and uh, vitamin C? They just kind of looked at them. Oh, oh, well, there, there's some other things out there you can do. Like it was almost illegal for them to say anything. It was amazing. We, we certainly live in a in a time derived from fear, and and that's particularly dangerous in the medical community when medical there and there's a wide variety of opinions out there in the medical world, but they don't want to be. They don't. They're so afraid of being sued 
or not doing something, if they don't say the right thing, they may miss out on federal money. There's a, there's a wide variety. And, and unfortunately, defensive medicine is not necessarily what's best for everybody. And, and in your case, I'm glad it worked out. I really am. It's, 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 it's almost hard to predict who's going to be affected adversely by almost any disease. It's rather bizarre, even the flu. You know, your friend, and I'm not trying, people are going to scream, oh, you just compared COVID to the flu. It's 10 times worse. I've been very fortunate. I had it, and, and it was for me, even though uh, a J&J vaccine, 40 or four days, rather, of, of feeling a little under the weather. A little fever, a little achy. That was about it. My wife sniffles for a couple days, lower fever than I had. Uh, five days instead of four, but not as achy as I was. So it, everyone's different. My nephew, you wouldn't even know he had it. He's like nine. He's like immortal. He's running around like, hey, I'm ready to go play a soccer game. So we aren't having reasonable discussions, but your point, I mean, vitamin D, there's clearly a lot of evidence. Vitamin D works. There's huge, you can't even have a discussion about ivermectin without people's heads exploding. I mean, the fact that it's a Nobel prize winning medication that's been ridiculed and it's a human medication that that's even, you know, a horse dewormer, it's a horse dewormer. And that's what you were stuck with. Welcome back, folks, here at WBT Radio, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Chad Adams sitting in for the vacation. Well, not vacation. It's Pete Callender living the American dream. He's coming back. He's going to be all charged. He's going to be full of energy, ready to take on the world. And we appreciate you making us part of your day. You want to get on the conversation at 704-570-1110. We're going to be joined at the top of the next hour by Speaker Tim Moore. He's been really on a tirade lately about the masking that continues to go on in the bulk of school systems. We have more, you know, we have 100 counties, so we have 100 county school systems, but they're actually additional ones like the city of Whiteville in Columbus County is a school system. City of Asheville has a school system. All told, there's about 114. I don't remember the exact number, but uh, about 40 of them have said no more masks. Many of them in the surrounding areas around Charlotte. But uh, <clears throat> Tim Moore saying, I've had enough. We've got the votes to pass something. The Senate does as well. The real question for Speaker Moore is, you know, the governor's going to veto that. The governor is standing by his health and human services department that continues to encroach upon the freedoms of parents. So we will talk with, with Speaker Moore. We look forward to him joining. At least he's scheduled to be on the show with us. We'll continue that. When we went to the break, and, and by the way, I do appreciate the call. The gentleman who called shortly ago, and I appreciate him being a part of the broadcast. That was Shannon, and, and we just got up against a break. It happens in radio. Now, we were talking about that that it's kind of a large news cycle. And we talked about the Canadian border. We talked about the southern border, the situation in Ukraine. We've got all of the situations that are ongoing here in this country. I mean, I was amazed at the, the way the Super Bowl, very little news about the actual game. All of the stories that dominated coverage were these ancillary stories. And a lot of them were people that were just torqued out of their minds about what Eminem did or what Dre did or, or whatever. And I'm not putting that down. We, 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 we have that right. Look, musical taste or musical taste. And, and, and if you were of a certain age, you loved it. If you were above that age, you probably hated it. But the, the stories and the masking, I mean, you had the mayor of L.A. at the, at the stadium it, unmasked. Remember the last time he was photographed without a mask, he said he was holding his breath. So I guess he was holding his breath for like four hours. But all of these become part of this endless news cycle that churns on, that churns on, that churns on. And it's, it's kind of amazing. That that any one of these would be a huge story. Now we have the situation in Canada where Justin Trudeau is is essentially done everything short of martial law being declared, where he's going to just ruin these truckers' lives, go after their their actual assets, their money, their bank accounts, and take it away from them. Imagine if 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 the Democrats were trying to do that in this country. 
just because they disagreed with a given protest. In fact, they, they did just the opposite in this country when you had the, the autonomous zone, which was war on the U.S. government and went inside U.S. territory and declared its own nation. The Democrats in power at the time were like, eh, no big deal. No big deal. The situation in Seattle is tumultuous. It is bad. It's very leftist, and it's not getting necessarily any better. The riots from 2020, and it culminated. It's kind of interesting. In January 6th, people on the right were the same people who were screaming how horrible the riots and everything that were in in the previous 12 months also decried that. People like me. Look, people breaking the law, trying to break into a federal building of any type, those are criminals. But the left was uh, just incensed about January 6th, but not about anything else. But I digress. Talking about the stories, when we're looking at 10%, I, I, I found it uh, gas prices or oil closed at uh, $93 and almost 94 heading toward $100 a barrel. And this is from CNN Business. The cost of living already high in America, the Russian-Ukraine crisis could make it worse. Oil prices have jumped well over $90 a barrel in recent weeks. If the Russia-Ukraine crisis drives oil to about $110 a barrel, Inflation in the U.S. would exceed 10%. Now, what's fascinating about this story, this is CNN. It was updated uh, at 118 today. So shortly ago, it was updated. I, I don't know why they didn't already know that, that, that the prices, I mean, we were already over 9%. I mean, the, the, the uh, price of things were 10%, 9.7%. Close to a record. So CNN's like, well, if it goes to 110, we'll get over 10%. We're already at 10%. CNN's trying to blame it on the Ukrainian crisis. Oh, it's making oil prices go up. Now, what's fascinating is think about America's war. So we were energy independent just over a year ago. Well, actually, about a year ago we were. A year ago this time we were still somewhat. Although when he when he clamped down on the Keystone Pipeline, made it impossible for folks to drill on certain parts of federal land that they already had uh, allegedly access to, uh, it was really a war on producers in this nation of energy. So once you take away that energy independence, meaning that if we had to, we could supply our own energy needs, you subjected us to the whims of the market overseas. The beauty of, of being competitive on the global level is that we actually could keep prices a little lower. But once OPEC was back in control of oil prices globally and the administration said, please. So on the one hand, they're telling all their liberal friends, hey, look, climate change, we're all on board. We're going to crush these people. We're going to force all American car companies to make electric cars. It's wonderful. We're going to have windmills and solar panels everywhere from sea to shining reflective sea. And we're going to change the world. It's got even though, and nothing about other countries, by the way. So you're not going to crush China. You're not going to crush you know, the, the Russians and make them do all these things. You're just going to make us do all these things and make everything much more expensive and much more unreliable. I was, I was reading, you know, think about how much energy does it take to charge up a car overnight? It's several, I mean, I've got to get it documented, but I had people interfacing with these several barrels of, of oil, the energy equivalent of charging up a car. You put a couple million cars out there, that's a lot more energy. You have an unreliable energy grid. How many of you get peak energy alerts in the wintertime and the summertime? You get peak energy alerts from Duke Power, whoever provides your power, the monopoly power company that's in your market, and you beat the peak. Well, what are you going to unplug your car? You're going to beat the peak by unplugging your car? What about in the summer when it's when you're getting these uh, possible brownouts and stuff? You're going to unplug your car? you got to get to work. Maybe. Maybe you work from home. Maybe you're lucky to work from home. But this is the kind of stuff that we've declared war on our own energy production and and we expect things to get better and you know these are the kind of questions these are the kind of things that are going on i I was really surprised that the ukrainian situation was in excess 
uh, leading the markets today. The markets are up, you know, across the board because of the Russian potential retreat. Another great lesson. What if the Russians had, had invested a lot of money and said, "Okay, let's do this. We're gonna we're gonna bring we're gonna do the brinkmanship, invest billions, and then we're gonna pull back and watch the market zoom, and then we're gonna take our take our profits." Meanwhile, the U.S. is at ten percent inflation. In a normal day, this would have been disastrous for the markets. It's not. So the Biden administration kind of benefited from that. Now, we're going to take a break here in a second. We'll be coming back in the second hour with uh, Speaker Tim Moore, who will be joining us. Stay tuned. Much more to go. Here on the Pete Callender Show, WBT. Stay tuned. Thank you. 